0: We're in a series, a miracle series, part two. I'm just touching on some of Jesus' miracles. Jesus did miracles to prove His divinity so that He wasn't just a normal guy. Normal guys don't walk up to blind people and touch them and they can see. Uh, Normal guys don't walk up to a guy that's 38 years crippled and lame and just ask Him. (laughs) You don't go up to a guy in a wheelchair and go, Hey, do you want to be made well? That's pretty obvious you just don't do that unless you're Jesus and then when you're Jesus you can say that and when he says well yeah but there's nobody here to help me Jesus says stand up take up your pallet and go and and a guy 38 years crippled in both feet stands up and walks away he does miracles to prove he is God very God he's not bound by the laws of nature he's not bound by anything that we consider science by the way he controls nature and science and the laws of physics he controls the universe at levels none of us can possibly comprehend until you invest in some understanding of His miracles. And then He also did miracles. This is the most important part for us this week, this month in our series. He also did miracles to demonstrate to us how we're supposed to interact with Him and how we get to interact with miracles, how we get to be a part of d- divine things and where our limitations are and where we limit ourselves. Today you're going to see you're going to see the brilliant disciples. Um, I, I was at the nursing home this week, and I told them, I, told them, I said, I, I say it at my church a lot, so y'all don't freak out when I say it to y'all, but the disciples are just a bunch of goobers. And when those goobers stand next to Jesus, they become very special goobers. But they have to learn. And here's a learning process. Early in Jesus' ministry, he has taken the disciples on a retreat. The context of this lessons from the loaves that we're going to learn today the context is that Jesus has been ministering and the guys are tired. And so he takes them on a little one day retreat. He literally goes across the Sea of Gennesaret, uh, which has a point on it and, and they cut across at the, at the point. So it's just a short trip, but it's actually a remote wilderness area where he takes them to. There's, there's, You know, very few people that live there. The villages are tiny, and it's not like a city where they were. And so he takes them out to the countryside, way away from everybody, to get a break. And he says, let's go for a retreat. And they retreat, but the people that he's been ministering to and all the great things he's been doing in town figure out where they went. They don't have a bunch of boats and stuff, so they just decide to go around the end of that sea, and catch up, it takes them a day or so to get there. But the Bible calls it the feeding of the 5,000. We've said that for years, theologians have said that for years. It's not 5,000, it's 5,000 men. Um, and so you throw in some, you know, a bunch of married people in there, so you end up with more, and then you got a bunch of kids, you end up with 15,000 or more people. 15,000 people went around this tip of this sea and showed up at the retreat center in the wilderness, to hang out with Jesus, because they figured out that's where he was, and they want to go see him again. They wanted to hear him teach, they want to hear him talk. Um, they want to experience all that Jesus is. And so that's our context. When Jesus walked with the disciples for these three years, one of his greatest goals was to train them about life. And he is a trainer. Jesus is a trainer and a teacher. I want you to remember that. You you you've accepted Christ your Savior. Those of you that know Christ, your Lord and Savior, you've trusted in his work on the cross. And uh, he is—he's his goal is to train you, his goal is to help you, to help you grow. And so these disciples come alongside Jesus to learn these lessons from life, um, just like we are. And so I'm going to give you five lessons from the loaves this morning that you may or may not have seen when you've read or heard this story before. Some of you have heard me teach it before. Probably be some new things in here for you. And uh, it's also recorded in Mark chapter six and in John chapter. Uh, 6, the same story is recorded. So we just read the story in John chapter 6. John chapter 6, after these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Tiberias, and a great multitude followed Him because they were seeing signs, which He was performing on those who were sick. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there He sat with His disciples. Now the Passover feast of the Jews was at hand, Jesus therefore lifting up His eyes and seeing that a Great multitude was coming to Him. You've heard me tell this story before. Jesus is on this retreat with the disciples, and all of a sudden into this valley where He is comes thousands of people pouring into the valley. He's on a retreat, by the way. He's on a retreat. He's got His disciples in this quiet place. Birds are chirping. You know, they're watching hawks swoop swoop over the the sea there. The seashore is just rolling in real soft. It's beautiful, it's peaceful. And 10,000 people come over a hillside trying to find Jesus. Isn't that something? I mean, they are literally just coming to see who Jesus is and what he can do. And Jesus, verse 5, this is the critical part. Jesus, therefore, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a great multitude was coming to him, said to Philip, where are we to buy bread for these so that these may eat. Now I want you to think about that. Jesus and Philip sitting together. I think they're sitting on a big rock looking down into the valley. And uh, by the way, or actually they're at the bottom of the valley looking up. The people are coming in up high. The, the sea is at the low point of this. And I just want you to think about Jesus and Philip sitting side by side. And him just looking at Philip 1. where are we going to buy bread to feed these people? Where? is the question where now there's a real simple answer again the goober philip that's sitting next to him is going to process this completely wrong it actually says in this verse though it actually says jesus said this in order to test him in order to test him. Because he knew himself what he was going to do. Jesus already knows how this whole thing is going to go, by the way. But he knows what he's already planned. He's planning on taking care of the meal. He's got that. But he looks at Philip. Instead of just going, hey, Philip, well, I'm, I'm going to show you something. I'm going to teach you how I can do miracles. He actually stops and asks a question to Philip before he does the plan. Now think, think. In your walk with Jesus, are there times when... When he's trying to communicate to you, I want you to think about before we move into this process of how I'm going to help you in whatever situation you're in. I want you to think, think and process. And so he actually puts you in a place where you questions just start coming to you and you have to think through questions. How are we going to handle this? People show up in my office all the time. How am I going to deal with all this? What if this happens? How am I going to deal with that? And I always think, what if you were sitting next to Jesus? Jesus. And he were to look at you and go, hey, how are you going to handle that? There's 15,000 people showing up right here at our doorstep. And they're hungry, by the way. They've been traveling for a couple of days, for a day. How, how are you going to handle this? So he ask him, where would we buy bread? Now, I'll just pose a question to the audience today, to our congregation. I'm going to ask you, if we had an event and 10,000 extra people showed up, 10,000 extra people, whoo, what a day. If 10,000 people showed up, I'm going to just ask you out loud, where would you go to get bread for those 10,000 people? You just had to go get some more bread. Hey, we're out of bread. Yeah, Walmart, Sam's, Costco. That's going to be our deal, you know? You can get in your car, you are gonna drive to Costco. Well, guess what they don't have in the remote wilderness part on the other side of the Sea of Galilee? Guess what they don't have? Just guess. Anything! (laughs) They don't have anything. Even the little villages that might exist up in the mountain area there. The little tiny villages where maybe 15 families live. There's not a bread store. Smith's Bakery, Pullman's Bakery, nobody's up there. Sarah Lee does not live in that part of the country. And they are not going to be able to go get bread. There's not a store, even in the big city, if we went back across the sea and went to the big city, you're not going to walk in a big city store in Jesus' day and go, hey, I need bread for 20,000 people today. The bread maker's going to, first of all, be very grateful for the business, but go, hey, we're about 30 loaves a day, man. That's it. You know, I mean, we give us a month and we'll get you 15,000 loaves of bread, but you got to be kidding me. That's an outstandingly large order for that day. The bread makers of the day didn't make that kind of bread throughout the day because it's going to spoil. They don't have a way to preserve it like we do. So he's going to make just enough loaves to keep the business going for the day. And only and most people made it at their homes. They made their own bread. So he, you don't need a big bread store, right? Now think about the question again. Jesus and Philip on the rock. Hey, Philip, where would we get bread Where would we buy bread for these 15,000 people? It's not complicated. You know, it's just nowhere. There's no such thing. It's not even possible. That's why I got the word impossible up there. Jesus, what you're asking is impossible. That's when Philip should have went, Oh, yeah. You're the guy that's done the impossible like a dozen times right in front of our face. Multiple times. Like when we were at that wedding. Remember? Remember? We're at that wedding and they said, hey, we don't have any more wine. And Jesus goes, hey, fill up those jars. They filled up those big concrete jars. And then the water became wine. Oh, yeah, you're that guy. Oh, yeah. No, no, that's not Philip. That's not what happens at all. But I just want you to begin with life is full of tests. And our tests, and let me just make this clear. Tests come from God. When you're under a test... Or even a trial. James 1. We studied this in our James group. Trials come from God. Now in the midst of tests and trials, the enemy has figured out... Satan himself knows how to come in and tempt you. Knows how to come in and tempt you. Temptations are not from God. They're from the enemy. A temptation is to pull you away from God. When you're in the midst of a heavy trial... And you start feeling like, think about this. You start feeling like, well, I just don't know if God cares. I mean, you know, God doesn't even even hear my prayers. He doesn't know me at all. You think that's testing or temptation? That's temptation. And that's the enemy messing with your mind. That's fears and doubt coming in. And God's not the author of fear or doubt. But when you're in the midst of a trial and you go, Lord, I just know that I know that I know you're going to help me with this. And I'm turning it over to you. We're going to figure this out together that's your test and in the midst of a test you can be tempted but temptation always comes from the enemy people people give god a bad rap well he's all the time tempting people no he doesn't james 1 13 there's no god does never tempt anybody and he, james says never say god tempts anybody he tests us but i promise you he will test every one of his children and every one of his disciples there is a, there will be a test and by the way there is a final exam and then that final exam, you better know his name. And his name better be the reason you got saved. So life is full of tests. And then secondly, life is full of unanswerable questions. Second lesson, this is an unanswerable question. Jesus is sitting next to Philip and he asked him an unanswerable question. Did you just hear what he's saying? Where would we buy bread? I, oh, man, Lord, I... There's not anywhere to buy bread. What is he talking about? It's an unanswerable question. And life is full of unanswerable questions. And when we get to heaven, I just I want to know if Adam has a belly button. That's an unanswerable question. You tell me. Not in the Bible. But he wasn't born like everybody else. So did God make a belly button there for him? Go, hey, hold still. You know, I'm going to make a little belly button in the clay that I'm making out of you. Does he have a belly button? I don't know. Does he have a scar? Because the Lord took a rib out. You know, when we go in and take stuff out, (laughs) we go in and take stuff out, put stuff in, we leave a little mark there on us. You know, even if it's a great surgeon, they leave a little mark. i got a little scar on my ankle where I have a steel plate in there. Does he have a little scar to remind him his whole life? You know? Does Adam have his little scar going, oh yeah, that's where she came from, right there. That was costly. (laughs) Yeah? Does he have a scar? Life's full of those. You know, I want to know why people say they want to be a fly on a wall. I just wish I was a fly on the wall. Why? Why do people say that? A fly lives for a day. You want to live for a day? And a fly's not smart. I don't know if you know this. Their brains are really tiny. <laughs> I know you try to say you want to see something, but you know, a fly. You're a fly, you're not a person on the wall. You're a fly on the wall. That's kind of crazy. I also want to know this. Why is it when you take gelatin out of a pouch, it's powder, you put it in liquid, and it turns to liquid. We put gel- jello in a in a pan it turns to liquid right and and then it's it's almost like a real syrupy it's like a you could drink it i mean it's good (laughs) You get right jello when it's in that when it's all watery it's good it's like real syrupy stuff right then we put it in the refrigerator and it freezes like an ice cube when we take it back out why did it unfreeze how does that not turn back into liquid i don't know you know, but there's something weird about Jell-O to me that it will stay like that forever. When it's hot, it'll still be like that. I don't get Jell-O. Jell-O's, Jell-O's those are unanswerable questions. Unanswerable questions. Why does McDonald's drive through sign have a thing that says Braille menus are available in the drive through They're available inside, I get that. But if you're driving, you really shouldn't need a Braille menu at all. And if there's a blind person in the car with you, you're going to read the menu to them anyway. So why do they have that? Why do moms yell at their children to stop yelling? This happened yesterday at a football game where I was. Moms yell at their children to stop yelling. Like, you're really messing with their minds when you do that. You're, you're not helping them. Why, why do, has any kid's face ever froze the way mom said your face will freeze if you can leave it that way? Does any kid's face? And if, if not, why do moms continually say that? Every time. Mom well, say it all the time. You, you better not leave. Your, your face going to freeze like that. Well, no. Don't get space. Well, maybe some of y'all did. I don't know. So, and if you're, if you're in a car accident, when you get to the emergency room, do the nurses really talk about your underwear? That's what I want to know. Because my mother used to tell me, we're wearing clean underwear today because if you're in an accident and you have to go to that emergency room, I don't want them talking about me real bad back there. And I just want to know nurses. I want my ER nurses to talk. Yeah talk to me in the the ER, in the ER, do they actually talk about the underwear of the person who's in the accident? Because that's a weird thing to me if they do. I'm a little weirded out by that. So unanswerable questions. Where are you going to be in five years from now? What's your life going to be like five years from now? Can you answer that? Well, you can guess. You can predict, but you don't know for sure. I remember when the kids were little. Some of y'all have heard this story. When the kids were little and we were putting them to bed and we say our prayers with them and Usually tell them a story or two about our childhood. By the way, parents, tell them stories about your childhood. That's a real cool thing for little kids to learn about your childhood. Uh, Even if it was a weird one or a bad one, give them them something cool in there to talk about. And let them know you were once a child as well. We used to tell our kids stories about about childhood when we put them in their bunk beds. And a triple bunk bed that we built. And I remember Josh asking me when he was about five years old one time. And we'd told some, read some Bible story. And it had heaven in it. And he asked me, Dad, if I went to heaven right now, would I still be five? How old would I be when I get to heaven? Go to, go to bed, son. Shut up. What's wrong? With you? What's wrong with you? I mean, seriously. You know? But, I mean, there's an unanswerable question. I don't know. How old are you going to be when you get to heaven? If you die at 90, are you still going to be 90 the rest of your days in heaven? Is there, is there an age in heaven at all? Is everybody the same age? Are we all 33 like Jesus was? I mean, you know, what's the deal? That's a very complex question, by the way. You can rattle your brain. You can explode your mind trying to figure those kind of things out. And life is full of them. Life is full of them. Here's what I'm promising you, okay? God's not ever going to answer all the questions for you, ever. And sometimes he's going to ask you questions that are very, very hard. And he wants you to ponder. He wants you to wrestle with those things. So lesson number three. Life's tasks are often way too big. What Jesus is asking Philip to do, sitting on that rock in that little valley right there, is way bigger than Philip. Now, I like how Jesus asked it. Listen to the question again: Philip, where can we where can we buy bread for these 10,000 people? You know, Jesus, you know what Philip could have said? Who's we? Are you asking me? Because I don't know. If you're asking we, I'm sure you got this. Because that's the whole point. It actually says in the verse. And Jesus knew exactly what he was going to do, but he's just testing Philip to see if there's a we involved. You know what Philip does, though? I want you to look at Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, verse 37. Jesus says, you give them something to eat. They said, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? So in Mark chapter 6, Jesus says, you give them something to eat. And the reply of the disciples, by the way, Philip Philip was sitting on the rock, but all the disciples have huddled in to help him. You ever have people in school give you the wrong answer to give the master? You know, the teacher? And, and you're going, I, you know, teacher asks you a question, you go, I don't know, you're looking around, somebody help me, help me. Help me. And somebody whispers the wrong answer. Well, that's the whole group, discipleship group. Because they've actually done a couple things. When they heard this question, they're like, where can we buy bread? He's talking about spending all our money? Now think about that. All of a sudden, they're worried about money. Jesus is worried about who? People. They're worried about money. Jesus is worried about people. They're worried about the money. They're worried about their money, by the way. Judas carried the money bag for the disciples. We know he was the accountant for the disciples. Says a lot. Sorry. Says a lot about accountants, though, brother Al. And he has a little, little problem there. So, but here's the thing. Judas carried the money bag for the disciples, and they kept he kept accurate counts of it. And at some point, somebody's going, "Hey, how much is in the bag?" Judas going, "We got." And he actually says in one of the texts, "It's it's a little over 250 days worth of income." That's pretty good income, by the way. They're, they're told, the disciples weren't poor. Everybody talked about how poor Jesus was and all that. They were carrying 250 days worth of income with them. So they've, they've got a little money pot there. But that's not enough to buy that kind of bread. Now, But here's the other problem. Rewind the tape. Even if you had the money to buy the bread, what don't you have? The store. <laughs> There's nowhere. It's impossible. Even if you have the money, it's still an impossible situation. So here's Jesus asking them a question, and then here's their answer. Man, we would have to spend all our money on that, and it still wouldn't be enough. What are they looking to? Think about this. They're looking to their resources. The question was, where would we buy bread? Who'd they leave out? Jesus. Jesus. They're looking at their resources. They're counting their pennies. They're trying to figure out the task is too big for them, and their stuff, their resources, seems too small. I'm not going to put all my board members on the spot and all my finance committee members on the spot, but we have a lot of meetings at this church where everything we do seems too small. We have too small a stuff for too big a task. That means, by the way, we're doing ministry. Do you know, do you know that if we were a church that had plenty of resources and ministry that we could match the resources, that would be our ministry, not God's. You know that God always calls you to a ministry bigger than you? If you can do it, what do you need Him for? If you can do this, what do you need Him for? What do we need Him for? He's calling you to something bigger. If you're not dreaming bigger than you, you're not dreaming the dream. If a pastor has a vision for a youth group or a church or... Or a, a music team or a missionary. The missionaries are coming in next week. Man, those are awesome, by the way. The Hopkins, they are awesome. I don't know if you remember this. They were here a, few July, a couple of Julys ago. They were here in July. And Mr. Hopkins, the, the senior pastor who was later killed, he was murdered in Mexico just a, few month, a month or so after that event. He was right here with us. Their family singing and all that. That whole family's coming back. Um, to minister to us next Sunday. Don't miss the Hopkins. They're our heroes. And man, what a great, great group of people they are. And the ministry has just continued on. By the way, they, if you read their latest newsletter, which I have, you probably shouldn't, but you should, their latest newsletter tells you that um, they just had their Faith Promise Sunday. And he sends a list of missionaries. Now, he's our missionary. And their church has a list of missionaries they're sending out. So we're sending missionaries. we're paying for helping missionaries get their work done so they can send missionaries out. That's exactly how it's supposed to work. And by the way, it's way bigger than us. Way bigger than us. We're not big enough to do all that. God has to orchestrate all that around us. Our church giving, our faith promise is stronger than most churches in this area give. And it needs to be. I'm begging you to do it, live by faith, not by sight, and do something bigger in your life. That's how this is. This is a big project. And, and it's way bigger. It's way bigger than the disciples can solve. Kind of like raising children. <laughs> I, remember, I remember when you first. Us men. When you first start thinking about asking the question. To your, to your beloved girlfriend. And you start saying man. I, I want to ask her to marry me. But are we ready for that? It's big. Oh it's big. Big, big, (laughs) marriage, marriage, life together forever. Wow, and I've got to support and care for her forever, and then she's going to want to have kids and cars and all kinds of stuff like that, and furniture and stuff that I don't have. I don't have any of that, right? And you're going, oh, no, it's big. But you put God in the middle of all that, and God just works miracles in all of that. When, When life's problems are really, really big, you know, like raising children, it's very complicated. You have to invite Christ to be part of that. You have to invite Christ in. Here's the weird part about this story to me. Jesus invited himself in with Philip. Philip, where can we, <laughs> we buy bread? Philip, in my head, we'll see the video. When we get to heaven, big screen HDTV in the highest definition we've ever seen. Living color and all that be awesome, but we'll see this. I'm sure we get to heaven. If not, I'm just going to sit down with Philip and go, man, you got to tell me every detail of this story because I'm thinking in my head when when Jesus asked you the question, you're over here and Jesus here, you turned away from Jesus, turned your back on him to look at the guys and go, hey, help me. He asked me a hard question. This is hard. This is impossible. Somebody give me an answer. The disciples are now starting to calculate all that out, and then he turns back to Jesus and go. Well, we don't have enough money. <laughs> he turned away from the answer. We do that a lot. We do that a lot. So our nature is to look to our resources and our stuff and count our things. And I'd like to uh, thank the disciples, by the way, for being stupid first, so we could sit here and learn from them. But I'm telling you, all these years later, when Christ has come up in your life and my life, We tend to look to our stuff and our resources. We forget he owns everything. He creates everything. So Philip is seated there with an impossible question. He's standing right by Jesus, sitting right by Jesus. Peter's right by Jesus. And they're trying to count their stuff to figure out if they have enough. Now, if that's not bad enough, okay, Peter, tends to be a leader, Besides, he's going out and he's going to survey the crowd. He's actually going to go collect up. He's going to talk to them and say, hey, Jesus is trying to figure out how to feed y'all. Anybody? Have y'all got any bread? Any of y'all got any bread? Any bread, 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 bread? There's 20,000 people. I'm sure he did not surveyed 20,000 people, but he probably went to the nearest, you know, 100 or so people he could get the word to. Hey, we're trying to collect up some food. Anybody got any food? Anybody got any food? We don't want to spend our money. (laughs) Anybody got any food? Anybody got any food? And one of my heroes of the story is this one little boy. Jesus needs bread. He can have mine. Man, I love that kid. I can't wait to get to heaven to meet that kid. Jesus can have mine. And this one little boy offers up his lunch. To this brilliant disciple that's going to be the leader of the church. The foundation stone of the church of the living God. (laughs) Peter. Brilliant Peter. Brilliant. Godly Peter. And Peter takes it back to the master. Creator of all things. And here's what he says. We have this this one lunch. Uh, Listen to this. We We have this one lunch, Jesus. But what are they among so many? Man. I don't know if at that point Jesus wanted to just turn around and slap Peter. What's wrong with you people? <laughs> or if he just did the sigh, you know, the, the mama sigh where he goes, man, you guys just aren't getting this at all, are you? What are they among so many? Well, how about if I'm here and you're talking to me, the one that made water to wine, the one that, you know, can stop a storm, the one that healed the blind man, the one that, that took a man that was born 38 years crippled and raised him. What if you just ask me to help? How about that? How about hand me the lunch? And that's when Jesus tells them, have the people sit down in groups of 50 and 100. Now he's going to do his plan. He's going to do his plan. He's already asked the guys, how would y'all do this? And you know what they've done? They've failed miserably because they've tried to figure it all out by themselves. They've used their resources. And I want to just tell you sometimes we take our minimal resources to Jesus as Christians. Because we know He's He's the guy. We take Him and we go, This is all I got, Lord. It's not going to do very much, is it? It's all the energy I got. It's all the time I got. It's all the money I got. And I think Jesus goes, Man. Have some faith in that. Have some hope and joy in that. Go, Lord, this this is all i got, but I bet you can multiply it. I know you can multiply it. I know you can. Now, here's what Jesus does. Instead of limiting Jesus, we need to learn to trust Jesus. Remember when your kids told you you couldn't do something? Remember that? Remember when your kids would try to help you understand you can't fix something that was broken? Josh had a broken video game when he was a young young boy, and Josh, the doubter, the, the Thomas, the doubter in our home, um, the, the whatever that was a little Nintendo, what was that thing we had back in the day? Game Boy, back in the day, it was a hand me down from my brother. He had this little Game Boy and it wouldn't work, and you had to all you, know, you had to hold it just right and blow on it and twist it and all that and get it in right. And he was convinced it wouldn't worry. he been trying to play it all afternoon. I get home from work, and he's just convinced. It's broken. He's all down and depressed and terrible. It's a terrible day, Dad. I'm like, I'll, I'll work on it, son. Well, you can't fix it. I mean, he said to me out loud, five years old, you can't fix it. Nobody can fix it. It's broken. I've tried already. I'm like, you know, I fixed your RC car when it broke the other day, you know? I fixed about a dozen things in your little toy world. Give me a shot. Give me a chance. Don't you think Jesus feels that way sometime when you hand him something broken and go, I don't know. I know you, yeah, okay, that's all I got. we got to stop living that way as Christians. we got to come to Jesus and go, you're the everything. There's nothing you can't do. You can fill this building up and help us build three more like it. You can bring lost people that are so lost, they don't even know they're lost yet into the kingdom of God. Do y'all believe that? Man, I believe that with all my heart. God can do anything, and we just need to stop living like He's just barely gonna—we're barely gonna make. All we got is a little lunch, just a little tiny resource. I don't know well, we're gonna make it. We gotta stop thinking in those terms. We gotta to learn to think in the terms of who he really is and what he can really do. The whole point of this miracle, now you guys know he's fixing to bless the bread and just make up, he's gonna make an all-you-can-eat feast for 20,000 people. They're gonna be belching and laying back in the grass and just having a good old time and, you know, it's like Thanksgiving dinner for them. I mean, it's every, I, that's all the fish I can, I can't take any more. It's like going to the catfish house in Loosedale. You just, you know, the all-you-can-eat thing and just, okay, one more. Oh, you get it down and go, like, oh, this is too good and full. That's what he's fixing to do. And they're just sitting there doubting every bit of that. Every bit of that. Like, I don't know. I don't know. What do you think? What is going to happen? Why do we live in the doubt of what the Savior can do for us? The Redeemer, the Maker, the Creator of all things. Why do we doubt he's going to come through like that? So verse, Mark chapter 6, verse 39. Then Jesus directed them have all the people sit down in groups of green grass. And so they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fishes from the little boy. And I believe with all my heart, he told that little boy, come stand by me and watch this. By the way, thanks for being the only one in the crowd that would share your lunch. There's hundreds of lunches in that crowd. Those 10,000 people didn't leave home without food. I promise you. They didn't go, hey, we got to go around the end of the, he's on the other side in that wilderness area. Let's go over there with no food. No, they grabbed food. They had some, you know, some loaves and fishes. They had some snack crackers or something. They didn't all leave without food. But there's this one boy going, if Jesus needs lunch, man, he can have mine. So Jesus got that little boy next to him going, hey, just watch this. Stay right there watch this. And you eat all you want out of the basket. All right, you can have it all you want. Keep on. And Jesus just prays and he blesses it. It says in Mark chapter 6. Taking the five loaves, two fishes. Looking up to heaven, he gave thanks, and he broke the loaves, and then he gave to the disciples to set before the people. He divided the two fish among them all. Two fish, sardines, really. Two little sardines. 20,000 people, all you can eat, fish and chips buffet. All you can eat, 20,000 people. He just kept dividing it, dividing it, dividing But here's how he did it, okay? Here's how he did it. He said, he told the disciples, y'all have them all sit down in groups all over this hillside. Jesus at the bottom of the hill. He's in this ravine. They, they, they're up the hill and Jesus hands a basket full of fish that he just created to the disciples and says, take it up to that crowd up there. See that? See those guys way up on the hill there. Take that, take that family song. So here's Philip got his basket. He goes all the way up top of the hill, puts the basket down in the middle of his family. All these hands come in. Everybody's getting their stuff, you know, and it's gone. It's empty basket. And Philip's at the top of the hill with an empty basket. With an empty basket. And Philip's guy was sitting on a rock a little while ago. Philip, where would we get bread? Where? Where? Was the question. Where? Where, Philip, would we get bread? Feed these 10,000 people. Where would we do that? Well, it's impossible, Lord. Hmm. No, not really. Because the where is where Philip's fixing to walk back to. Because at the top of that hill where he put the basket down, he's got to turn around now and go straight back to Jesus and put the basket, the, the empty basket in front of Jesus. Jesus is going to go, fill it back up and go, Philip, you see that family way up there on the hill? Well, yes, sir, I just fed them. Well, see, they've already eaten all that and they're still hungry. So you go way back up there and feed them. And Philip goes way back up there and puts it down and they empty it. And he's got an empty basket. And Philip goes, huh, where would I go to fill that up? Oh, yeah, Jesus. Man, and you know Philip's going, why didn't I think of that before? He was right next to me. That's where you get bread to feed 20,000 people is Jesus. Jesus, point number four, Jesus, or lesson number five, Jesus is always the answer. He's always the answer. That afternoon, each disciple probably fed, walked food on a hill to over 1,000 people. Man, their little walking tracker was clicking off the miles that day. Walk, 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 walk. Up and down the hill, up and down the hill, up and down the hill. A thousand people they fed. Restaurant people don't feed nearly that in a day and it wears them out. A thousand people they fed. And Jesus tried to make sure every one of them, every disciple had to come right to him to to the source to get the supply. The source was Jesus. And He's just trying to communicate in His miracle, by the way, I can do miracles, and you need to learn that I'm the source for all the answers. That's what He's trying to help us understand. I'm the source for all these unanswerable things. You have a lot of unanswerable questions in your life. How are you going to raise a family? How are you going to live through the next five years of whatever's happening? Yes, I do. Jesus is the source of all the answers. And Jesus needed a disciple to learn that He was the resource. That was the point of the test. You know what they failed? The test. They thought they were the resource. So he had to teach them. Lesson number five Jesus always completely satisfies. So, what happened with all the baskets is an all you can eat buffet. It's an all you can eat buffet. Jesus literally fed them till the, till the baskets were there were leftovers in the basket. And the leftovers were 12 baskets 12 disciples, 12 baskets. One for everybody. And by the way, Jesus and the little boy have been eating the whole time. They just, you know how when you cook, you eat. You know, he's just making making fish and loaves and he's going, hey, that one tastes good. Try this one, you know. He's helping the boy get all he wants. So him and the boy are fine. And 12 baskets for the disciples are left over. So here's what I want you to end with today. If you're not completely satisfied in your life, you may not be looking at the right resource for satisfying. Because when Jesus does work in our lives, when He helps us through a crisis or a challenge, it leaves you completely satisfied, restful. Full. Not just physically full, but spiritually, emotionally full. Jesus is the answer. And true faith allows us the joy of believing beyond reality. The whole point of your faith is you can believe bigger than you. You can believe for bigger and greater things and live for bigger and greater things. Don't just live for yourselves. You know what the Hopkins did one day? They just said, hey, we're going to move to Mexico and serve over there. Well, that's going to be crazy. Yeah, it's crazy, but it's bigger and greater. It's a big thing. Don't minimize your resources and yourself if you're sitting next to jesus if jesus is your lord and savior your very best friend and your guide don't minimize all that let's live to the highest calling we can possibly live to and see how far god could take us when there are no answers you're supposed to look to jesus for the answer and believe that the answer is going to be greater than you can imagine the the miracle of water to wine, just remember this, the little couple had already put their best wine out. But when Jesus got they invite when Mary invited Jesus into this story, the wine they got at the end was greater than they even had resources for. When Jesus gets involved, the resources are always going to be greater. Ephesians, we close with this last time, we'll close again. Ephesians three fourteen. For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth derive its name. Paul says I pray that out of the glorious riches He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit. I want you to know this passage in Ephesians 3.20 I pray this passage over the individuals of our church on a regular basis. Uh, One of my regular routines is to go through our directory. It's actually in my Tablet notes, but I go through my tablet notes. Your names are in there. All our church members, those that are here and not here. um, I pray these words, because Paul prayed this over a church at Ephesus that was powerful. And I think it's important. You ever don't know what to pray for somebody? Just pray these very words. I pray that out of the glorious riches, He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and how long, how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And just pray that for anybody you know. If you don't know how to pray for somebody that's in deep trouble, somebody that's lost, God, I pray they would know how high, how wide, how deep your love is. I want them to know how much you love them. And to know that this love surpasses all knowledge. That you may be filled with the measure of fullness. Now listen to verse 20. Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. The old King James says exceedingly abundantly. Above all we ask or think. To him be glory. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. To Him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think. First of all, we need to be asking. We need to invite the one that's testing us into the test. When Jesus asks you hard questions or when life presents hard questions, turn over to Jesus and ask Him for help. Then when that happens... Say, Jesus, I know you can do this. I'm just waiting to see how you're gonna do it. You instruct me and I'll follow your lead. That's what Philip could have said, by the way. He said, I don't know where we buy bread like that, but I bet you do. Tell me what to help. How do I need to help you? I think Jesus would have just said, have people sit down and watch this. But we get a chance for the to see the disciples really struggle, by the way. The disciples really struggle through this. And I think it's important that we see. The disciples struggle because they look to themselves. And I think you need to warn yourself. Don't look to yourselves for resources. Amen?